There is no area in which believing Christians find themselves to be more overwhelmed than in the area of sexuality and sensuality. Somehow Hollywood and television and media generally and the marketing industry seem to be relentlessly bombarding us with images of sensuality that are totally contrary to the way God said this gift that he's given us is to be used. We sometimes feel that we are standing before an avalanche of abuse of that gift that God said it is good and it's wholesome. Even some of the so-called Christian leaders, they have joined in that chorus of unbridled promiscuity. Denomination after denomination are voting the Bible out and promiscuity in. They are voting the word of God out and do what comes naturally in. They are voting biblical morality out and new morality in. Look with me at this untold number of hours and days that have been spent. Untold millions of dollars that are being wasted on seminars and conferences and conventions and synods and consultations. What is the topic of their discussion? World evangelism? No. What is the topic of their discussion? How to live biblically? No. How to live righteously? No. The topic of their discussion is human sexuality. And by that, I want to tell you what they are discussing is how can we continue to call ourselves Christians without Christ's teaching? Their aim is how we continue to call ourselves the church of Jesus Christ without Jesus' moral laws. To put it bluntly, they are saying how can we continue to keep on duping people into believing that the new morality, which is nothing but the old immorality, how can we convince people that we are baptizing this into our churches? No wonder the church has lost its grasp on holiness and on righteousness and on living for Jesus Christ and conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. No wonder the church has refused Christian discipline and moral accountability. And it is not surprising, therefore, that the church has been dismissed by society at large as irrelevant to them, as ineffective. What difference between some of these churches and the National Organization for Women? What difference between these churches and Planned Parenthood? Nothing at all. Why people go to church? They don't. Can we really be surprised that the church today has lost its power? That the church today has a muffled voice. And today in America the fastest growing religion is Islam. There are more Muslims in this country than those who attend the mainline churches all combined. And we're asleep at the switch. I want you to hear me right. I don't want you to misunderstand me. I want to tell you that godliness and sexual promiscuity are mutually exclusive. And that's what Jesus is saying here today. These pathetic voices that I hear in many ways remind me of what I read in the book of Genesis. The voice of the serpent of old that came to Eve and said, has God really said so? Is that really what God wanted for us in this day and age? Well, let us turn to the scripture and see what God the Father has to say to us and what God the Son has to say to us on this subject. Turn with me please to Matthew chapter 5 beginning at verse 27. Verse 27. 
In verse 27, Jesus said, You have heard that it has been said. Because that was not a literate society, they learned the Scripture by hearing it by ear. Very few people could read. And therefore, they heard the commandments and the Word of God by their ears. And that is why Jesus said, You have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that anyone who looks on a woman to lust for her, he has committed adultery with her in his heart. We saw in the last message, murder begins with anger. Therefore, selfish anger, prideful anger is treated by the courts of heaven as if it is murder. And here Jesus is telling us the following few verses. He is telling us that adultery begins with lust. Therefore, in God's eyes, in the courts of heaven, lusting after someone who is not your partner in marriage, who is not your spouse, is treated by God as an adultery. Now I know this is foreign to this generation, but listen to what God is saying, not me. And here Jesus is telling us that adultery begins with lust. And as we have been seeing very clearly in this series of messages, that Jesus is concerned with the source of sin. That Jesus is concerned with the origin of sin, not the manifestation of the sin or the lack thereof. He was concerned with that, but more deeply concerned with the root of sin. And we saw that those who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ must learn how to deal with their anger biblically. And here Jesus is saying to his followers that to avoid adultery, you must begin with the eye. That's where you start. The eye is very powerful. The eye is the gatekeeper of the soul. The eye is the key to your mind. And that is why you must begin with the eye. Sir Peter Lyley, a celebrated British painter, made it a rule never to look at a bad work of art. And here's what he said. He said, my experience taught me that seeing bad art subconsciously influences my brush and reflects the bad scenes produced in my own mind. How about that from a secular point of view? (laughs) Anger and lust are two of the most powerful influences in humanity. And the person who allows their anger to reign over his life or to reign over her life will soon find out that they are controlled by anger and they are not in control of their anger. And the same thing happens in sexual lust. Our sexuality is a gift from God. In Genesis 1.28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. And that is why I want to stop and tell you this. Listen carefully, please. That is why I believe with all my heart that our children must learn about this gift, this God-given gift to us. They must learn about its proper use in the homes, from the parents, in the churches that believe the Scripture. Not from representatives of the National Organization for Women. Not from representatives of Planned Parenthood who comes into the school and teaches promise security. They must learn that like all of God's gifts, They come to us with an operating manual. A manual that must be followed 
or it will explode and destroy us as a people. Mrs. Thatcher, former Prime Minister of England, she said, liberty decays in an atmosphere where all is permitted and nothing is prohibited. The resulting permissive society is, in fact, no society at all. End of quote. Our sexuality is like a fire. And a fire in a fireplace is absolutely delightful. But when the fire comes out of the fireplace into the house, it will burn it down to smithereen. And that's where we're heading with our promiscuity as a nation. That's where we're heading as a civilization. People are talking about the right wing and the left wing. And I'm like the old man who said, I don't care about the right wing and I don't care about the left wing. I care about the bird. And I want to tell you, the bird is very sick. And we need to intercede for our nation. Some people might be listening to me right now or on the air. People who would call themselves Christians. And they're not buying what the Bible is saying regarding sexual purity. They're not buying what I'm saying. Probably saying, what rock did this guy crawl from under? Where does he come from? He must have lived in the Victorian era. Don't worry, I've heard all of this and worse before, so it's not new to me. Don't worry about that, but listen to me. (laughs) Because I want to assure you, a Victorian, I'm not. (laughs) And for some of you who don't know what the Victorian era is, let me explanify it for you. (laughs) The Victorian era during Queen Victoria in England was ruling over the British Empire. Their sex was so shameful. It was so shameful, in fact, that good people did not do. During the Victorian era, they took out of the Bible the Song of Solomon. But I want to tell you this is not biblical teaching. This is not what the Scripture teaches. The Bible teaches that the husband is to delight himself in his wife and that the wife is to delight herself in her husband in the bond of marriage and marriage only. That's what the Word of God said. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2, Each man should have his own wife, and each wife should have her own husband. Listen carefully. You don't hear me pounding on this subject very often unless it comes in the text. I don't have hobby horses. But when it comes in the Word of God, I want to preach it, and I want to preach it faithfully. Jesus here is not speaking about the unavoidable or the unexpected exposure to sexual temptation. But rather he is talking about the continuous lustful thoughts about another person who is not your spouse. That's what he's talking about. Jesus is saying that being in an emotional intimacy with someone of the opposite sex who is not your spouse is wrong. It is as wrong as adultery. And I believe we believers in this century must learn to affair-proof our marriages. We have ten commandments for our staff when they come and join us here. One of the things that our staff in our church must always, when they meet with a person of the opposite sex, have the door ajar. We need to affair-proof our marriages in this sex-sin society. Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes that I would not gaze at a woman. It is the relationship between the eye and the heart that Jesus is speaking about here. Look at verse 29 of Matthew 5. If your right eye causes you to sin, says the Lord Jesus, pluck it out and throw it away. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off 
and throw it away. What does Jesus mean by this? I want you to listen carefully because I don't want you to injure yourself and blame me. (laughs) Obviously, this is not to be taken literally. If this were the case, I promise you, we'll walk around and find lots of blind and maimed people in this society. (laughs) In fact, there are Christians in the past, in Christian history, who have taken this literally. They had more zeal than wisdom, and they literally took this and mutilated themselves. The best known example is Origen of Alexandria, a great theologian of the third century. He went to extremes of ascetism. And only after the Council of Nicaea, 325, that this barbarous practices have stopped. But I want to explain to you what Jesus is saying here about plucking your eye and cutting your hand. This is the way the Semitic language is formed. This is how the Hebrew language is designed. This is known as a dramatic figure of speech in order to make a point. And the point that Jesus is making is this. Listen carefully, please. This point that Jesus is making here is the exact opposite of what our generation is striving for. Namely, that instead of pampering and indulging ourselves and giving ourselves everything at every time and everywhere, we must be ruthless in moral self-denial. I know this is like a foreign language to our society and our generation, but this is the Word of God. Jesus is not recommending a literal mutilation, but he is saying that we must exercise mortification. Not literal mutilation, but being resolute in rejecting sinful practices. Not mutilation, but dying to self-indulgence, dying to self-gratification. Here's what Jesus is saying. If your eye causes you to sin in those areas in which temptation comes through the eye, then don't look. Behave as if you are blind. And you that you can't see the object which causes you to sin or caused you to sin in the past. If your hand causes you to sin and caused you to sin in the past, don't do it. Pretend that your arm is being cut off and you can't move it. If your foot, later on in Matthew, he said, if your foot that has taken you to places in the past that caused you to sin, pretend that your feet are being amputated and you can't walk. We are a generation of instant gratification. We are a generation that cannot wait for anything. We are the generation that is undisciplined and uncontrolled. Self-mastery is a foreign word to our generation. We want everything yesterday. Think with me, even if you're already mad with me. Think with me. We spend hours before the tube. And if the preacher goes over time five minutes, we immediately develop a severe case of antispentis. And we cannot wait to get out. We can stay in a ball game with three or four overtimes, but we cannot spend an hour Every day in the presence of our Heavenly Father who has blessed us so much. We can pursue leisure with all of our vigor. And when it comes to serving God, we have no energy left. We spend thousands of dollars on toys and trinkets. But when it comes to the work of God, we give a few dollars and think we are the last of the big givers. 
Jesus is saying, listen carefully if you forget everything I have told you. Don't forget this. Because this is what Jesus is saying. He is saying that heaven is far more important than any temptation in life. He is saying that heaven is far more enduring than any temporal gratification in life. He is saying that heaven is going to be infinitely, infinitely, infinitely longer than any momentary pleasure that you may experience. Therefore, it is better to forego some of these experiences and go to heaven than have all of these experiences and end up for eternity in the lake of fire. It is better to accept alienation by the world than to risk eternity in hell. It is better to accept some cultural amputation in this world than risk final destruction in the next. It is better to be called prudish in this world and risk the torment of hell in the next. That's what Jesus is saying about plucking your eye, cutting your hand, whether you're going to live to the age of 10 or 100. Every one of us, we're going to close our eyes in death and we're going to face Jesus face to face. What will you say to him? How did you live your life? I want to illustrate this point about plucking the eye and cutting the hand and the foot. and It's in a reverse way to explain my point. An Oxford University student was brought into a hospital complaining of a bad pain in his right knee. This man was handsome. He was athletic. He was recognized for his athletic ability. So after running some tests, the doctors brought the bad news to him and they said he has cancer that is centered directly below the knee. It was advanced and potentially life-threatening. And the doctors urged him very strongly to let them amputate the leg. And the young man refused. They attempted to treat the cancer under the circumstances with chemotherapy and with radiation. It slowed the cancer down, but it did not kill it. The doctors came to him again, and they urged him, please allow us to amputate your leg in order to give you a chance to live. He said no. Gambling on the slender chance that the chemotherapy might cause the cancer to come into remission, but it did not. Within three months, he was found to have secondary growth in his liver and kidneys. And six months later, he died. The head surgeon came to his mother afterward, and he said to her, please explain to me, why did he refuse to let us amputate when the operation would almost certainly have saved his life? A broken-hearted mother looked the doctor in the eye, and she responded, he had been very proud of his good looks. He had been very proud of the fact that he is an athlete and a sportsman. And he said that I would rather die than lose a limb. And he did. This true story that was related to me by a relative of the young man, a friend of mine who lives in London. This true story is in many ways a reverse illustration of what Jesus is saying here in this passage. 
Jesus is saying it is better to lose a limb if you have to, but live eternally. Because ultimately that's really what counts, eternity. Eternity is what matters. Eternity is the most important decision that you can make in this life. Where will you spend it? Someone may ask me, Oh, preacher, Jesus seemed to be setting forth impossible standards. This is an impossible standard to live up to. I'm glad you asked, because that is a very good question. And I'm anxious to answer it. Please listen carefully. Sin in any form is so subtle, it's so deceiving, that none of us, none of us can deliver ourselves from its clutches. And the impossibilities that Jesus always sets forth here that we're seeing in this manifesto are basically twofold. First of all, Jesus wants men and women to despair of their own righteousness and seek his. Secondly, the Lord's remedy for a sinful heart is not more church attendance is not more religious activities, is not more good works. Please, I plead with you, that ain't going to save you because that is not the Lord Jesus' remedy for sin. Jesus' remedy for sin, and that's why he left heaven to come to earth, is a new heart. There are some who claim to be Christians, and they rely on their righteousness to live up to God's standards. And you know what happened when they discover that they can't? Here's what they do. They try to lower God's standards down. If you can't jump over this rope that is this high, so you lower it all the way down so you can go over and say, well, you know, here, it wasn't too bad, I did it. Please listen to me. This is tragic. They might try to ease guilty conscience, but it is tragic because all that they're doing is that they're digging a deeper hole for themselves and for others. That is why it is so tragic. Lowering the standards of God is not the answer, but God has a simple answer. By your power, by my power, we cannot keep God's standard. It is impossible. But by the power of the blood of the Lamb, we can. That is the message of the gospel. I want to ask you as I bring this message to a conclusion, I want to ask you this most important question. Whatever bondage that you are under, the answer is not for you to say, well, I can't help myself, therefore it must mean that I have to live this way. Those of you who may be in bondage of unfaithfulness to your spouse, those of you who may be in bondage to homosexuality, those of you who may be in bondage to pornography, those of you who may be in bondage to all kinds of sexual addiction, listen please, there is freedom that's available to you today. There is breaking of that bondage that is yours for the asking today. And the Bible said the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Not just one, two, or three, or some. All unrighteousness. St. Augustine, before he 
turned his life around and became a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a big playboy. He was an adulterer. He, he lived a, a terrible life in the city of Rome. But you know what? He had something going for him. His mother prayed and interceded for him every day. And if you have a son or a daughter or somebody who's wayward, don't ever stop interceding for them because I want to tell you they haven't got a chance. With your prayers, seeking God, bombarding heaven, they will come. One day, Augustine, after he was confronted by the claims of the Lord Jesus Christ, received the power of the Holy Spirit and became a new man. His entire outlook of life has changed. And then one day, he had to go back to Rome to do some business. His business trip took him to his old haunting grounds where he used to hang around. And as he was walking along, a former companion saw him and began calling him, Augustine, Augustine, is that you? He said, yes. And he turned around and took one look. And he saw this woman whose companion he used to keep. And and he was shattered. His heart was pounding. And he realized, of course, that he's now a new man in Christ Jesus. And that his new position in Christ. And then quickly he turned around and he ran from her. And shouting and saying, it is not I, it is not I. For I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives within me. You may claim to be a Christian But you have never experienced the power of God in your life. God, the Holy Spirit, wants to work in you and give you new freedom and new energy that you have never experienced before. I believe with all my heart. I wouldn't be standing here if I did not believe that. God has given me powers over areas in my life. So many of you know that if I did not believe that, practice that, I would not be worthy to stand here holding the word of God to you. If the Spirit of God has spoken to you, the Spirit of God has convicted you, say, Lord Jesus, I repent. The Scripture said, if you hear His voice, harden not your heart. Whatever area of bondage in your life that you can't break free, Jesus will set you free today. This is the power of the gospel. Whatever sin that has you bound, Jesus will set you free. It is yours for the asking. He loves you. He's been speaking to you. And this is the latest in his voice is speaking to you in many other ways. Say, Lord Jesus, empower me, strengthen me, that I may be a woman of God, a man of God, that I will have victory over whatever is holding me down. Heavenly Father, you know the secrets of our hearts and our lives are known to you. We may fake it with each other. We can't fake it with you. You know us through and through. I pray for every person that we together turn to you and ask for your power, for your strength. That we may have victory, not just once, but daily, as we rely on you. Father, we know that only the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ can cleanse us. We plead that blood right now. That is ours in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.